Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Wild Ones podcast, a show where we chat about bike stuff. We're your hosts, Francis and Jimmy. And what have you been up to this week? I've been watching the Mark Cavendish documentary. Me too. It's very good. Me it? too. I was late to the party because we wanted to watch it before last episode. What party? The party of everybody watching the Netflix and chill party. Oh, right. Okay. You weren't invited. Oh, okay. Good. So I think, I think that's a good thing that I wasn't invited. Did you like it? Yeah, it was great. It was really good. Wait, did you say episodes? Was it just one? In one episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said, I thought I, thought I was watching a different documentary to you. <laughs> the 10 part of Mark Cavendish documentary. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, it does... I would watch that. It does end very abruptly. So if there was another episode, I could believe it. I guess they... I mean, they made it in prep for potentially him breaking Eddie Merckx's record, didn't they? And they had to leave it open-ended because there, were, there, is, there isn't an ending. Or oh, maybe there is there a, maybe there is an alternative ending where he actually does it. <laughs> There's like sound bites and you go like, I did it, guys! Well, I got him to record all Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor guy. It, and, and then... The, and then they pull the plug. It made me feel very nostalgic watching back. We talked to on this podcast before about Chasing Legends, the series that followed HTC High Road, HTC Columbia, the team from like it was early 2000s. Uh, was it early 2000s? 2009. Late no idea. 2009, I'm pretty sure, was the year where he won like so many stages of the Tour de France. It was amazing. And they used loads of footage from that. It was just. It was awesome. He's so good. He's so good. I was actually, you know, in that documentary, there's a large portion and a lot of the footage is from Dimension Data, the mm-hmm. team that he was on. I was on the training camp the second year, which is when he was having problems. Right. And the team, oh, there were guys on the team who were well on his side. Doug, the team manager, said, no, he's not going to the Tour de France. And that was obviously all happening while I was there. What do you mean you were there? Why were you there? I was there with um, wrecking uh, an event for Hot Chili, basically. I was there with Hot Chili and their mates with the guys, the, a lot of South African cyclists all know each other. So Sven, who owns Hot Chili, is friends with Doug Ryder and we got invited to the like parties that were at. Uh, so it was like okay. a pre, it's like a, it's a pre-season training camp, but it's so early that it's, not very serious. Right. So they're all there. And they're like, it's the one time of year that cyclists can be a bit loose and have some beers and right. enjoy themselves. So we had a few beers with the riders. 
did some rides as well, horribly hungover. Um, and I remember specifically one of the days, the guys who were new on the team, they're like the stagiaires or the guys who were coming over from other teams, um, two dimension data that year, were like really excited. So they were riding on the front really hard. And we did this ride to Pearl, which is like hundred miles and really well hot. It's like 35 degrees or 40 degrees. Um, chatted to Latimer Morton about drop bears. And then towards the end of the ride, when they were really pushing on, Mark Cavendish rode to the front and just shouted at everyone and was like, slow down. He got really angry at the people in the front of the what, ride. At the end of the ride? Yeah, towards the end of the ride. Why didn't you do it at the beginning? Well, he was probably feeling all right then. Oh, okay, right. But as it happens, I mean, as they, they, they portrayed in the documentary that he wasn't in the best shape. Right. Um, both physically and mentally. Mm. So I can see why he was reacting like that. Right. Um, no real hate towards the guys. I mean, people get excited and they ride really hard on the front of races. I think the, uh, rides. the best bit of that show for me was there was a couple of bird's eye view shots of some of the sprints that he won. And like... How does he get to the front? So much... He looked so much faster than the like... like the, the people that are on his standard. He was. And he was just... He was fast. He's just faster. He was like, his, his head is so low, which is, he's the first sprinter to get like really aero and thinking about that. He's and, tiny though. And he's tiny, yeah. And that's the position he sprints in. Mm-hmm. But it led to him being faster. But also his, like that, it's how he moves to the front of a group mm-hmm. is bonkers. Because he's nowhere sometimes until, like he's not in the shot. You can't see him. You can't spot him. And then somehow he just makes his way to the front. Maybe you can't spot him because he's just tiny. Mm. He's just hiding. So small. Yeah. He also, uh, I like how his comeback ride, it was funny, look, uh, you're into cycling kit. You run a kit brand. The amount of racers who didn't use, like it was the dumb thing, just wear a jersey and shorts in a race. Yeah. And I remember like the, the comeback ride that he did for the Olympic road race, he won in a skin suit and pretty much everyone else there wasn't in a skin suit. It's funny. And now everyone's in skin suits, obviously, because it's significantly faster. It's not significantly faster. I think we should test it. I'm very confident. significantly I'm faster. I'm very confident. We don't need not. to test it. I'm going to have tested it before. I'm very confident it is not significantly faster. I am. Okay. Your idea of what's significant or not is different. To what? To mine and all bike races. I think we should test it. Cool. Okay, done. That's fine. Wind tunnel. See you, see you there. <laughs> Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different to usual. Uh, Rather than talking about news, we're going to cover a topic that everyone's asked us about a lot in the comments section. Uh, Us and our backgrounds, our cycling backgrounds to begin with. What's your cycling background, Jim? I think we should start with yours because I think people would be more interested in yours than mine. You reckon? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Where do I start? Well, I saw a picture of you maybe yesterday or the day before with like flowing blonde locks unbelievably blonde locks at probably the age of like two or something or other or my three. mom posted on facebook she did yeah, yeah yeah on like a little a little trike thing mm-hmm. yeah she posts that every year yeah started cycling i was in college when i started cycling properly but uh, what do you mean by properly what were you doing before that what riding had you done before proper cycling? normal teenage kid riding which is what i don't know riding around on the road with your mates on a mountain bike Okay. Yeah. That's it. How much of it? How much? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Most days. That's how you get around, isn't it? Because you have no money for the bus. So you get around on, the, on a bike. Surely that's how lots of people Well, I'm sure some use do, bikes. Yeah. 
I, I didn't. I had, I had, I had a mountain bike when I was like young, young. Yeah. And then like when I was older than that, I just walked everywhere. Mm. Oh, fair enough. But then I'd like, I, I grew up in like Cardiff is smaller than London. Uh, well, yeah, but you weren't walk. You, you like, you were, you weren't popping to the shops into central London, were you? No, I, but I'd ride to King, the, walking to, like, the closest big town to me was Kingston, Kingston upon Thames, and that would have been half an hour walk, forty minute walk. Yeah, I would have or walked like a it. Four minute cycle, five minute cycle. I would have walked it. That's what we used to do. Uh, that's long, it's horrible. Or you get a bus and it costs like fifty pence. <laughs> yeah, it, did, it probably did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, things got more serious in college, which is high school for Americans. So I was like 16, 17. Uh, I was, I had a road bike and I bought that to ride to college. It was like 15, 20 minute ride. Yeah. And then there was one other guy with a road bike at school and he listens to this at college. Uh, he listens to this podcast, Jake. Hi, Jake. Oh, the Jake. The Jake. Jakey. Jakey Dillakeke. Um, oh, I like Jakey. He challenged me to race him home. Like, I never met him. He was like, oh, do you want to race home? Didn't know where I lived. <laughs> we raced home. I then got chatting about bikes and he had like, I remember he, he used to ride his Cervelo S1 to college, which was like his race bike, which I ended up buying one because he had one. I was like, oh, like, he's fast. Was he racing at that point? Yeah, yeah, he was racing. He was racing. So he'd be, he'd be a junior at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I started racing, I just missed out on the junior category because I was over 16. Or your birth, if when your birthday lies in a year. And I missed out on that, but I was an under 23. And then started racing uh, based on his recommendation. Go to, you know, oh, that Hillingdon is great, like racetrack. You can go to Hog Hill. You can do all these things around London. And go into racing there. Got to elite level two years later. And then did that for a year and a bit. And then quit after some nasty crashes and stuff that happened in races, which we've talked about in previous episodes. How old are you at that point? 20. Right. So it's kind of like four or five years of racing. Yeah. Maybe 19. Yeah. How quick were you? Yeah, probably four, four, four and a bit years. And you got to elite level racing to pedal heaven. Yeah, I got to elite level with the team before pedal heaven. So it was called Team VO2, the right. VO2 development squad. And their aim is to develop riders to then go on to other teams. To, like the pedal heaven was like the tour series team. So I got onto that, did one year just keeping my elite license there because the racing got harder. The, the point system changed one year. So it was actually only like 50 elites one year and I was one of them so I was like really happy with that I kept my license whereas the year before I went from like second cat to elite level in one season because the points you could earn so many points from doing some races so if you raced loads in the year you could rack them up and then they changed it so a lot of the races weren't worth the same amount of points you have to accumulate to get the categories so the second year everyone was really nervous like loads of people were going to lose their elite license and I kept mine so well done <laughs> thank you I lost it eventually. So you eventually... I haven't got it now. You eventually stopped racing. Yes. You just lost the taste for it and you were in your early 20s and you'd sacrificed your teenage years for bike racing rather than having fun. So that wasn't... That, so I can see why you would want to stop racing. That wasn't going through in my mind at the time though. The reason I stopped was purely like lack of... Um, lack of results because I lost my nerve after the two deaths in the races. Yeah. Um, which we discussed in a previous episode, if you want to go into that, because it's very, you know, we're not going to discuss that in today's episode. But yeah, that was the main thing then. And then you obviously come back to real life, do other stuff. And in hindsight, yes, you do miss out on a lot of normal life things. 
but I wouldn't change it. It was great. You learn so much. You socialize with different people. The bike racing, it was great. And then you didn't ride very much for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then I met you. I borrowed, I didn't even have shoes. No, you didn't. And then we started riding together. But we'll cover that in a bit about what, how we met. <laughs> uh, what about me? So I, I grew up in Cardiff and anyone which knows anything about Wales knows that- You're a big people, deal in Cardiff. I'm a big deal in Cardiff, yeah. Um, they will know that Welsh people are obsessed with rugby. Um, so pretty much everything is just about playing rugby. Like in my school, we had something like, like every year had like three or four rugby teams. Yeah. Like it was, it was just like the rugby, thing. rugby, rugby. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I had various phases of, of, of growing up of being like the fat kid or being the not fat kid. So depending on what stage of fatness I was as a child, depend on what position I played in rugby. Um, so I did that pretty much from like, you know, probably nine, 10 up until I got to probably 14 ish. And then that was the kind of point where like everyone got really big because of puberty and I didn't grow enough and I was just constantly getting beaten up. Um, and some people are okay with that, but I wasn't for some reason. I, I didn't, I, I kind of lost, lost the love for getting beaten up every single time I played rugby. So I stopped playing, uh, which is also coincidentally the time that I found music and was gifted a drum kit for my birthday. I thought you were about to say martial arts. Uh, no, that's much later. Much later, yeah. okay. So then, then, then there's a block of me not caring at all about anything sport related and just being obsessed with music, which then was probably about ten years. So I, 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 I actually, I, I ended up playing football a lot as well um, after I finished playing rugby. But ultimately, I did nothing from about the age of nineteen up until about twenty six or twenty seven, and that was when I got so unfit that. I was just like, like it was, I, I smoked a lot, I drank a lot, I partied a lot. I did all the stuff you didn't do um, until later. Um, and then I, I remember walking up a staircase and I was so out of breath, just walking up a staircase, I was like, I should probably do some exercise. And that kind of snowballed from... You're, you're walking up a staircase? Yeah. And you realise you need to do exercise? Yeah. Well, bearing in mind, I was smoking a lot and drinking a lot and hadn't done exercise in a decade and yeah in basically a decade mm -hmm. so i was like you know granted it was a lot of stairs yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i would like walk up to the office on the fourth floor and i'd be like puffing i'd be like probably not a good thing i know i'm probably in a minority but i've i've never experienced that as i've always been a certain level of fitness yeah in from memory yeah like, i guess when you're a kid, you're like before i started cycling you're still just a teenager so you don't feel like that <laughs> Yeah, it always fits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, th but then I'm talking like a decade of like drinking, eating pizza, smoking yeah. cigarettes. Yeah. Like that's a long time. <laughs> uh, which then gave me a bit of a kick, and I started. So I basically, me and my flatmate at the time, Lewis Bate, absolutely, he is like uh, probably saved my life on various occasions. Um, for whatever reason, we used to we used to live really close to our work. We worked together as well. Uh, we would get back from work and he'd be like, right, we're going for a, a mile run. So we used to just basically sprint a mile. We used to run a mile as fast as we possibly could every single day. We'd finish here, get back, and we would just absolutely plow it and then probably eat like pizza and drink beers straight afterwards. But the point is, that was how it started. One mile, one mile a day for a couple of months. Then I found out about park run. Then I started doing park run. Then I bought a fixie for getting around London. And then it's all, whoa, oh, actually, yes. 
Oh God, there's so many layers to this. How deep do you want to go? The big, the most significant turning point for me, mm. you may or you probably find it hard to believe based on how much I don't care about pretty much anything anymore. I used to be like hideously competitive, like destructively competitive, as does one of my good mates, Mark Brown, big Scottish lad. I used to do Muay Thai with him and he used to just beat me up all the time. He, You've been beaten up a lot. I have, yeah. <laughs> um, he, um, we used to refer to each other as rival. So like we were just, just continuously competitive. It was the kind of thing, it was like, like stupid stuff. Like we were in, like, again, I worked with him. He decided, he said, he said he could head kick me in the office. So I was like, I bet you can't head kick me. So then he tried to head kick me, split his trousers so bad he had to like walk, walk, go home on the tube with a jumper around him and no trousers on. What kind of is that like a roundhouse kick to the head? He's very good at kicking. Is that sort of not like a two-legged kick from a jump? No, no. Just like a standing on one leg kicking. Yeah, okay. yeah. a karate kid. Uh, not quite. It would have been with a shin because we, we used to do Muay Thai. Oh. Um, so, but anyway, this snowballed into we used to have a thing which was um, whilst while you're sleeping, so like. I'd go out and do like a 5k run at like six in the morning and then take a picture whilst I'm out in the streets of London and then send it to him and be like, whilst you were asleep, one up, I'm getting better, you know? So it was just a kind of snowball from all of these things. And then for whatever reason, I can't remember why, I think it was his idea. I think he was just like, I could beat you in a 5k. I'm like, you couldn't beat me in a 5k. He's like, right, well, let's do a triathlon. I was like, oh, I don't want to do a triathlon. <laughs> that escalated from a 5k very quickly. Yeah. Well, well, we didn't even do the 5k. We went straight from him saying I bet I could beat you in a 5k to us doing a triathlon nice. eight months later him having and it was an Ironman <laughs> well champs <laughs> it, was, it was it was a super sprint in Crystal Palace um, what's a super sprint it's like really short okay so, so, so it's shorter than a sprint okay. a 750 meter swim um, a 10 miles so 16k bike ride not, and a 5k run 750 meters of swimming is still that's not like two lengths of a pool that is seven and a half well, okay, depends on length. No, 50 yeah. No, it's more than that. Yeah, way oh, more. God, I'm... Way worse. A lot of... Like, that's, that's, a lot of short, that's not a short swim, is what I'm saying. That's how much I hate swimming that I don't even know how long a swimming pool is. <laughs> a swimming pool, yeah, 25 metres. I got a 25 metre pool. They're usually in 50 pool, 50 metre pools, big. if it's a pool one. That's a, that's a big... So that's Olympic-sized swimming pool. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Then that, there was this obsession over this triathlon. I decided to make this like a big charity year thing, and I ended up doing like a significant event every single month for something like 10 months. So I was doing like ultra marathons and stuff amongst all of this stuff as well. It was just like going from practically nothing to 18 months later doing like ultra marathons, triathlons and trying to be fast and just bonkers stuff all the time. It was way too much. It was completely and utterly unhealthy. But ultimately, yeah, it, was, it, all, it all came about from being very unfit and then being very competitive. Um, you won a triathlon. I did, yeah. What won? Super sprint. What it was, it was actually the same one, but three years later. Nice. And it also then, it hasn't happened since then, so I'm the reigning champion. Probably will be forever. Well, yeah, exactly. Amazing. Yeah. That's so actually the first time I got DQ'd, so, was, so Mark to this day thinks that he beat me in a triathlon, even though I would have actually been about 20 minutes quicker than him. Nice. Um, and then uh, the following year I went back and did it again. And I came fourth, and I was beaten by my Team GB mate, Ben Wickham, who came second. 
a team, a Spanish team triathlete who was there for the world, who was in London for the world champions who came first. And then another pro who I can't remember who it was who came third and I was in fourth. And I went back the following year and got lucky that there was no one good there and I won it. Nice. <laughs> Skills. Um, and then how I became really obsessed with cycling was I used to train so much that I hated everything about exercise. So I, I got rid of, I was getting injuries all over the place. I was overtraining. I sold off all of my data and I was just like, what do I, I hate swimming. I despised swimming. Running was just messing me up because I couldn't do anything other than like destructively. So I was like, well, riding bikes is cool and fun and it doesn't hurt and it's enjoyable. It's and more it's not sustainable, a great isn't it? It's just, it's just. Because running, even not that much running, yeah. can give you injuries. Yeah. Like you're just it's like, just oh, it's like, yeah, the next day you wake up, like, oh, that was a good run. And I've done an hour, hour and 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, I feel fine. The next day I wake up and I'm like, I can't walk. Something's happened in my foot, like a weird little muscle injury. Oh. I, th I think, again, w I the, probably the standard I was with running is not far from where you were with cycling. Mm -hmm. So like, you were fit enough when you were an elite to basically ride amazingly well all the time. Mm. And I was like that with running. So it was really hard to just be like chill with it. Mm. You just couldn't be, I just couldn't be chill with it. I'd be running and I'd be like, but I can run faster than this. So I will. And then you just, I just get picking up more and more injury. Oh yeah. We, we were like, just well, issues. If, if it's not zone two, there's no point. There's no like, okay. Other than the recovery ride, yeah. which you do once a week, maybe. Optional. Why was just never doing anything recovery at all? Zone two or above. Everything was like hard. It was it was so, but it was just all wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then yeah, then I, then I decided, let's let's try and be healthy. And, and bikes is for me the space where it's like fun, you know. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a chore. You you can go out on a bike for two hours and finish it and be like, well, I could have, I, I may as, I could have just as well been sitting on the sofa, and that's a good thing, rather than I am now going to have to recover for the next three days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it depends on how hard you go out there, two hours. What's I'm saying, but you, you, you don't, don't have to go hard. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, I find it very easy on the bike to be chill. Whereas running is running's weird because you, at, if you're going easy running, you're pretty much walking. If you're going uphill, definitely. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's, it's to, for, for most people, mm -hmm. zone one running is walking. Yeah. Why did you decide to start a YouTube channel? Uh, I saw other youtubers and was inspired which ones specifically the Neistat brothers yeah uh casey Neistat started a youtube channel i had seen viral videos from him before like bike lanes and the ipods dirty secret and then what's the ipods doing what oh, oh that's a good one it's about how ipods like run out of battery oh. and they're just dead and you can't replace the battery right it was an early i and he like did some gorilla like vandalism stuff. it was great worth watching uh, the Nice Dad Brothers then had a show on HBO, which was like years before I got into it. But I would watch the whole of the Nice Dad Brothers, and I was like, "That is, this is amazing filmmaking." I want to do a vlog, like Casey was doing. Um, did a few episodes, was doing fine, uh, not that many views. And then I did a couple of cycling ones. I just threw them in there because I I was going to a cycling event, so I was like, "Oh, like Red Hook." Um, you know, Red Hook and a tour series and uh, the Transcontinental was it what that eventually led to. I was just filming events and because the event, people wanted to watch coverage of the events, so they did well. I was like, oh, more cycling stuff then. Which I then started riding more, got back into riding after I, I, I had sold to, to fund my partying. 
I'd sold my shoes, pedals, everything. And that's why when I met you, I was riding a steel fixed gear bike that I'd like cobbled together. And you still got that? Normal shoes and everything. Yep. That's class. Still got that bike. It's trashed, like proper, like rusty looking. Yeah. 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 And then you, you wanted to go for a, a road ride and you lent me a bike. You gave me a pair of shoes, some physiques. <laughs> yep. Um, and a set of pedals. And then that's what I rode. So thank you for getting me back into riding. Yeah. No Except for that day, you went riding with me. We did like two and a half hours and you bonked and you ate all of my food. Yeah. I killed you though. Yeah. Because you ate all of my food. It was, it was the only five Jimmy minutes. Jimmy ripped my legs off. No, Jimmy tore my legs off is the video. It was the only five minutes in our uh, existence that I, would, I was legitimately stronger than you then. You were? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not like loads, but I, 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 I could have beaten you. Yeah. And looking back, like, then I got into riding quite significantly. Mm. I was fit enough to do a, a legit training camp, not like the Dimension Data fake one. A legit training camp with the Israeli cycling team. Yeah. Um, and I was as strong, if not stronger than a couple of people on the team. So I must have been training. Like looking back, I can't remember what I was doing, but I got fit. You, you like got really fit again. You did a Chris Hall. You just rode. I was just riding everywhere. Well, yeah. Um, Chris was a big part of it. He was doing, so our friend Chris does a load of ultra events, um, National 24 uh, time trial and he was doing a challenge at that time called 107 for 107, which was 107, 107 days of riding consecutively where he rode 107 kilometers every single day. Mm -hmm. And he did it, that without fail to raise money for a children's school with 107 kids yep. who have motor disorders and raised tons of money. And I rode loads of that with him. I missed the start, but I rode loads of that with him and documented it. And then we finished it in Flanders. So that was a lot of the riding that I managed to get like i ended up fitter again which is cool and then yeah it just went from there i was like okay cycling stuff's doing well kept filming red hooks they were really popular at that time yeah they were it was a big big fixie scene then yeah and everyone big everyone big. there loves being on camera like it was all really exciting like that was peak of, of fixie <laughs> peak fixie wasn't it um and then it started to attract bigger riders and then i was like oh what other events do we film did a bike packing trip that did really well what was the first one then America. That was the first one? Yeah, west coast of America. Bike fit James and Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. so I took two friends and we went to, we planned it ourselves. We did no, no sort of, it wasn't uh, piggybacking an event or anything. We just were like, right, let's ride 2,000 miles in America. <laughs> so went to San Diego, rode through Death Valley, Yosemite Valley, and then up to Portland, rode through to San Francisco. And just that was a life-changing, like this is what I want to do. I love documenting this stuff and it was fantastic. Uh, that was it. So you didn't... So the, bi the bike space in YouTube was never actually the goal. It just kind of... Not, not at the beginning. That's interesting. Not at the beginning. You actually did a load of travel stuff as well, didn't you, early? Yeah. Earlier on. Yeah. Yeah. And I did have a few sprinklings of bikes in there. Mm. I was in India and I was being followed by a guy called Benny. Uh, ben Joseph, who ran a bike shop. And then when I was in, well, actually, I think I flew in India to Bangalore because of him. Mm -hmm. And we were like, oh, let's meet up with this guy, see what the deal is. And then obviously he's lived in Bangalore, I think all of his life. Yeah. Um, and I, had, I love Danny. He's such a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah. And you, you meet people in a completely new country and you have all this stuff in common because of bikes. And then 
and obviously those bike videos did well and i was like oh yeah i did yeah i think it's called bangalore bike messenger bike bangalore bike messengers and it was him and his friend sharik who ran a bike shop um which is still going it was fun times really fun times so what uh camera and editing experience do you have before your first vlog zero zero yeah what were you filming on at the beginning phone is this yeah interesting first videos were phone Maybe 10 videos in, and I bought a Canon G7X, the little flippy screen so you could see yourself. Right. Because phones back then didn't have a, like a front-facing camera. Well, I did it have a front-facing camera. Do you remember what phone it was? I think the front-facing camera was crap. So I used the rear-facing camera, but then you couldn't see yourself. Yeah. Nah, it would have been like a Samsung or like a, a OnePlus, maybe. Right. That's a bit niche. Yeah. Uh, upgraded to the Canon, then went for a mirror, uh, like a DSLR-style camera, then eventually... Sony a few years later broke all the Sony's I think I sweated inside all of them and they stopped working mm. and then eventually upgraded to Canon was on Canon for ages and now I've convinced you to go back to Sony, back to Sony. but I don't ride with it on my back anymore yeah so it makes a huge difference yeah yeah, you yeah. Know, I was getting abused yeah it was yeah, being ridden through like rain and stuff mm. and getting sprayed and just yeah a lot of cameras got destroyed I guess for myself because I've um I've always had, I've had an interest in making stuff since I was young. Mm-hmm. So like even when I was in high school, when we were in kind of like year nine, year 10, year 11, that kind of space. And I was transitioning from like child that does what they're told to someone that has a bit of personality. I, and started getting into music. Some like there, there was this crew of us. We were like the, the Moshe kids that were kind of like, you know, the, the dirty, smelly people, not literally that everyone hates because we're not conforming, someone got hold of uh, a handheld video recorder which actually has a cassette tape in it. You probably don't even remember what they look like. Um, I do remember. <laughs> and we started making films. So they, so it was a range of like being inspired by stuff like Jackass and, and Dirty Sanchez yeah. and doing like, because you know, some, of, some of the people I grew up with were... Um, I guess wild is probably the best way of describing it. So there'd be stunt, some of them would do stunt stuff where they'd like jump off of like a four meter high staircase or something rather onto other people because they thought that was hilarious. Some of it was like music related. Sometimes we were making films that were like fictitious trailers for films, almost like probably the sort of stuff you would do in film studies, but without actually having a teacher. We were just like, all right, let's, let's, let's like make a trailer for a horror film. So we would just like plan this whole thing out and go and film it on this crappy little thing and then someone would try and edit it and it would be obviously hideous. Um, but it was just like, I've just always had that interest. As soon as camera phones came out, I was like, I have to get like photography accessible. So I was just like always obsessed with getting good camera phones and I was just always taking photos. And then I got, and then Instagram came about and I somehow got onto Instagram like really, really early on. There was like, probably tens of thousands of users rather than millions of users when I got into it. And I was just obsessed with that space and it was just always something that I did for fun. Um, and then eventually when we ended up starting Atticus, I just had, ha- I had a reason to be able to then start like taking that to the next level. So there was like a reason to buy an actual camera or I, I already had like a, a super, super cheap DSLR, but it, it was an excuse to be able to get like a proper camera mm. a professional standard camera eventually and actually like think about well 
how do I shoot product photography? How do I shoot lifestyle photography from a commercial perspective? What films do we want to be making? If we do make films, how do we record them? What equipment do we need? Is it even about equipment or is it about other things? Um, so I was just kind of always, I've always had an interest in the technical side of making content. I don't want to use that word, but it's the best way to do it. Photos and video. Does it make you sad that we use an iPhone for 90% of our stuff? No, I love it. Because I've, ne <laughs> I've never been interested in like... The actual tech. The yeah. Tech. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it, the technique, yes. Yeah. Um, whereas like story is the most important thing. So, like, you know, controlling... It, it's not about buying the best equipment. Right. If you can... Well, for example, we've downgraded our camera equipment because it's too faffy. It's too faffy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, for so, people who are not... It's for... It needs more people involved yeah, to it's, get it's, the most out of some of the gear. This is not to, to be a fanboy here. This is what the Neistat brothers prove. Yeah. Because their cameras... And still to this day, Van Neistat uses like the same Canon T7i or whatever, like the really basic DSLR. Yeah, but he's got, but, he's got the vintage look now, though, so it's cool again, isn't it? Well, he's pretty, he always has, but he never deviated from it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, a, it's like, why do you use that camera? It's like, because I know where the buttons are. <laughs> if I've got to film something, I need to film it fast. Yeah. That's what I struggle with. Now we switch back to Sony. I'm like, ah, oh, all the buttons are in a different place. And now, now I'm 31. Relearning and system is like, it's not happening. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't, it, well, it is, it is happening. You know it's happening. Slowly. It's, it's slowly, like, slowly, slowly. It's a very easy camera to use. Like, the, the, particularly the one we've got, it does most of the work for you. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I've just kind of, I love making stuff and I think that was one of the reasons I ended up starting Atticus with Emily is it was just something else I could create. Yeah. It was something else to, to make. It was something I hadn't tried before, this like actual design space. And I was like, well, I've never done it, but I love making stuff. So let's, let's just make some stuff. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy. Yeah. How did we meet? Um, I got invited to an event by Lawrence where he was like a ride leader for some like collective london-y collective-y kind of thing that was happening for the people at home lawrence uh ex wiggins pro cycling rider mm -hmm. raced tour series top level in the uk stint in belgium top level rider and is mates with us yeah and is now full-time doing gravel races i think that sounds like fun yeah i think it's mainly him just hanging out in spain yeah sounds about right yeah <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I was chatting to Lawrence about bikes and stuff. Uh, Atticus didn't quite exist at that point, but I was like on the scene. I was on the London cycling scene. I had an Instagram account with a couple of thousand followers and I just spent all of my time riding around London and documenting riding bikes in London. And it was just fun and cool and chatting to Lawrence. He invited me to this event which you also got invited to probably by... By Lawrence. Well. It was by Lawrence yeah, yeah. as well. Oh, he brought... He brought us together. He did. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you presumably got invited because you were vlogging and they wanted some video content. I think so. I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't even know why I got invited, but I did. Um, and then I've definitely told this story before. So I would think I was sitting on a wall waiting for this ride to start. Lawrence was like swinging around being like, I'm a ride leader. Listen to me kind of thing. And then you just kind of bowled in in like probably the exact same outfit you have on now, mm. but with your rusty old fixie. Yeah, I haven't bought any new clothes. Um, slung your bike on the side, went in, started chatting to Lawrence. I and then got 
introduced to you by Lawrence, and then you pretty much immediately pulled out a picture of the the um, the banana slice that looks like a dog, which looks like Lawrence. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that was actually how the whole dog thing started. Mm-hmm. Lawrence being a dog, which is yeah. like a super super pre-Cade Media Francis Cade vlogging in joke that some people are still into Lawrence looks like all dogs yeah so that actually it became a thing I think from probably that occasion I would have thought Um, it did it did and then yeah I think we we then we did our ride maybe a week later two weeks later yeah yeah it probably wasn't even that Uh, we were stuff just happened quick back then yeah it was probably a couple of days later I was like yeah so I drove over to you brought you the bike we did a ride I tore your legs off ate all my food uh ate one one of your two gels Two whole gels of way enough. Three hour ride, two hour, two and a half hour ride. Um, and then we went, and then a couple of days after that, I introduced you to Chris, and we did some riding around London. And then a couple of days after that, I think you then came in and did laps. We, I, I introduced you to proper London laps, and it was at the point where there was loads of the fix. I think it was when Red Hook Crit was on. It's like so a like, hundred people. All of the spot. like fixy people were there, like overseas fixy people as well. It was just it was massive, wasn't it? Yeah. I think the thumbnail is us, us at traffic lights, and there's just like fifty of us all there. That and it was, was cool. Yeah, it was that a good was time. Cool. It was it was a good time. So many people in London. It was wicked. Yeah, it was and good. London was great. And then we ended up in Newcastle, mm-hmm. and you moved because producer Emily, who is your partner, my wife, yes. Your wife, my wife, technically uh, my civil partner. Civil uh, partner, yeah. To so I said partner. people, it means wife. Uh, Emily is from up here. Yes, Emily's from Durham. Durham. So we we'd come up on holidays. Well, we'd come up to visit Emily's parents, and every single time for about six or seven years, we would always be like, right, it's time to get the train back to London on a Friday evening, and we'd just be like, why don't we just stay? And then eventually, and eventually, we got to the point where we could. Yeah. Yeah. I then moved up later during COVID after coming and visiting you guys and liked it up here. So me and Emily moved up end of 2019, pre-COVID. Yeah. You came and visited us in 2020 in like the summer, probably for us to do, or the spring, probably for us to do like a photo shoot or something. Yeah, right here. Yeah. And at the time, the house next door to us was for sale. Did we joke about it? And I think we pulled up outside the house and you were like, oh, I could buy that. I was like, it's 80,000 pounds. Of course you could. Well, not of course you could, but like, you know, compared to London, like it's, it's accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, two up, two down, old mining house, old stone, looks lovely. And you were like, oh, shit. Maybe, maybe I could actually live up here. Yeah. And then I think it was maybe even, when did you move up? It was 2021. Couldn't tell you. It, it was either later, oh. it was either later that summer or the following summer, you were like, actually i'm gonna come view some houses and then you came up again stayed with us for like a week or two mm-hmm. we probably did some photo shoots and bits and pieces again and then you view some houses and we're like well it's doable let's do it and now we're here yeah and everything in newcastle is has made what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to do and life easier mm-hmm. because a space like so cade media has a big studio it is big i can't remember how big it's it is a big space we've got I- multiple rooms Atticus is in one of them, and we have this whole podcast room. And then are you trying to work it out in square meters? I'm trying to remember. Feet? I think it's a th- it's about a thousand square foot. Then we have this massive main room, which we don't film most directions at the moment because it's just not set up. But it's huge, huge enough that it creates problems with echo. <laughs> to put it just put uh, to perspective, uh, and 
this space in London would cost four times the price. Forty grand. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Yeah. Well, actually, to put into context, do you remember my studio in London in Hackney oh, Wick? Tiny. How much was that? That was it's like a four hundred and fifty pounds a month. Okay. So basically half the price. Basically half the price of this. Yeah, and it was. A square. Not much bigger than the space we are currently, like the space that, that you can, can be see on that yeah. camera. Yeah. It's, it really wasn't. It was basically a desk with uh, some, yeah, uh, some clothes and crates. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Which leads us on nicely to the birth of Cade Media when things changed. I was making YouTube videos under my personal, just my personal name. Wasn't it like my real name? Francis CCCCCCCC. Oh, yeah. Like that. that was like the, 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 the code that you type in to get it. Anyways, Francis Cade was a YouTube channel. There's also your password as well. <laughs> was it? The channel changed from Francis Cade to Cade Media. Mm -hmm. Jimmy got involved. Emily's now involved. Uh, it's bigger than just me and it's very nice and fun. So I'd say, I'd say this came about. So Emily and myself started Atticus, the clothing brand. Officially, we started building like the foundations of what would later become Atticus in 2015. We grew that and grew that and grew that uh, for many years. And then 2019, when we moved up, was the first time that both Emily and myself were full-time. Um, we obviously ended up with Daisy working with us as well, and we kept growing the business. Um, last year was the point where we were like, this is unhealthy. We probably, well, from from my perspective, it was not possible for me to keep operating that business at the same level we were operating it. Mm -hmm. So we, it, the the only answers were, we take on loads of investment so that we can make the business significantly bigger, so that we've got enough staff that we can do less work, but it can still operate. Um, which we didn't want to do because we didn't want to make it more stressful. The only other option was shrink the business. So towards the end of last year, we officially decided to shrink the business and make it more of a size that's like healthy for us. Obviously, there was loads of other issues with supply issues and things along the lines that made that much easier to make that decision. But ultimately, towards the end of last year, we were had I think we had a conversation and I was kind of like ah oh, you know we're we're shrinking the business so I can get you know have a bit more space and a bit more creativity back and not spend fifteen hours a day stressing about the next kit that needs to arrive or how much customer service there is or blah blah this or blah blah that um, and then you were like well, why didn't you come do some stuff for me and I think probably initially I was waiting. I <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I was waiting for a while. <laughs> 
we were already filming loads of videos together. You'd come into the studio to help me film mm -hmm. because it benefited Atticus, who was sponsoring me. Yeah. Your clothing brand was a sponsor of mine. Yeah. Um, so there was a an interest there anyway. And Emily was already helping us with helping me with video ideas and like what I should be making. Mm -hmm. and it, it was moving away from just documenting and just being a vlog. Cool. I wanted to just do others. Like there was it, it. It reaches a point with the vlog where it's you're you're documenting every day, and it reaches a point where that is easy and mindless. Yeah, and you want to try other things. So you want to put other things into that formula and just make videos about other stuff on bigger scale. I think if I remember rightly, we had a joint calendar thing where you used to come to our old office every two weeks when you were around. Did that ever happen? Yeah, there was time. On time? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I think it used to bend around a little bit, but that was primarily a meeting with Emily. Not regular with a schedule. Because Emily is like the the like the actual journalist that knows how to do things. Um and then I would kind of like dip in and out here and there when I was needed, but I was never, that, that's, that's a side of the business I personally don't really care about, yep. which is really your strength and then also Emily's strength, but in a diff, bringing, it, bringing a different thing to it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it just kind of, it just sort of happened. Yeah. Um, presumably, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that the reason you had an interest in me working with you is because my strength is the opposite of your strength. Mm -hmm. I'm like a business person. Yeah. Um, which was, as your stuff was getting bigger and bigger, becoming more and more of a burden um, and more and more of a job and something that you wanted to do less of. And then you would end up asking me bits and pieces and, you know, I was helping you on this and that anyway. And I started off with the simple, like, tax return. Yeah. Things like that. And wait, how do I structure the business? And... Oh. <laughs> that, that sums it up to a T, doesn't it? It's like homework. Uh, it's like homework. I was chatting to Alec Briggs about this. Yeah. Alec from Techers. Yeah. It's just, it's home, it feels like homework and all of the stuff. Right. It's just, and he's obviously in the same, his brain works like mine and Emily's. <laughs> we don't like that side of the, no. I feel, I feel like I, not for me. I feel like I should set up an accountancy firm for like young creatives. Yeah. It is confusing and it's a minefield in a sense that if you get it wrong, you get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, and I know there's like some of my friends who are running businesses similar to how I how mine was structured and they don't do things right. And it's kind of scary. I'm like, oh God, like I wish there was a source you can send them and go, here you go, this will make it easier. I, th I think the biggest, the biggest problem with like business at this point is it's still very old fashioned. Mm -hmm. um, the the business that Atticus is, i.e., like a modern social media e-commerce business, and the type of business that Cade Media is, which is essentially a modern uh, services business. Um, accounting is just not like caught up with like that technology, mm -hmm. uh, especially the e-commerce side of stuff. And it is like it's it's a minefield, and and if you get it wrong not only is there fines, but you will end up just spending a lot more money on stuff because someone will say, oh, you have to get this. And then you're like, oh, okay, but that's a thousand pounds. And then you get it and then, you know, you find out two years later, you, you never don't need actually it. need it. Yeah. Or, or that kind of thing, you know. It's weird. And it's stuff you don't get taught. Yeah, it's yeah. You don't get taught. Yeah. And, it, and it's a minefield to actually find, even find out the information around that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but essentially, that's why we're a good team, I think, 
And on top of that, it's being in the videos. We, I knew like the, to justify your salary. It was like, you, you're good on camera. You understand cycling. You, uh, we've worked together for years already. And we already know we work together well. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter what we're working, what the project is, Cade Media, or it was a thing for Atticus years ago. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. We feel we've got cameras out and we're talking to them and doing things mm -hmm. like, and running a bike. So, so to me, that's the bit which feels like homework. <laughs> Does, oh, you like it sometimes. I like, I, you like Mailbox Mondays. I like the technical camera side of stuff. But the bit of what we do that I legitimately find enjoyable is like, I guess someone would describe it as admin, whereas I, I, would, descri <laughs> I would describe it as business. Um, I like talking to brands, you know, like it is, it's, it's a skill in its own right. I've spent, so the, the bulk of my career, so like something like 12, 15 years of it was in a corporate environment mm. relating to finance. So like, if you spend that much time doing anything, you get really good at it. So ultimately what I'm really good at is talking about business, i.e. our business to other people that might have a business interest in our business. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is a skill, you know? Yeah. That's another bit that I don't particularly like doing. Yeah. Because not that I don't like actually doing it. It's more that it takes away time from making videos. Mm -hmm. That's really what I want to do. Yeah. Coming up with the ideas and then writing out a plan and then filming it and then editing it. That's the bit I like. Writing out a and, plan? Well, well there. the bullet points in my phone is a plan, Jimmy. <laughs> as soon as I have other people involved, the plan needs to be more than bullet points, apparently. Outrageous. I actually think that you were very annoying as a vlogger mm. because you had to constantly ride a bike yeah to make a video yeah because pretty much everything you made was like riding a bike or talking about riding on a bike yeah so we'd it'd be like comes with the cycling channel i'd finish well yeah but we don't ride bikes very much anymore it's still cycling channel comparatively <laughs> yeah Where, whereas it would be like you've made half of or you've made like a section of a vlog and you know you need another like four minutes so you'd be like jimmy right home with me i'm like oh, i can't be asked I'm, I'm knackered you're like right home with me. i need to finish this video i'm like i, I really can't be asked and then you'd like show up at the office i'm like come on come on, come on. like oh, fine yeah the opposite would also happen where someone's like oh do you want to catch up and do this thing would you like go for this coffee no <laughs> filming a video today have you got a bike no, no way no yeah. not interested <laughs> it's true and also you True. you constantly had to think about like what is today's video yeah. that was kind of kind of how it worked you mm -hmm. know because it was like you're essentially trying to create something from nothing yep. you, you have to not engineer but you have to like you have to surround yourself by you know you're obsessed by like i need people around me that are going to be interesting because otherwise it's like well, what else do i talk about like how i brush my teeth in the morning but there's no bikes so i'll put little bikes on the end of my toothbrush so it looks like i'm cycling <laughs> that's a bit <laughs> no it definitely um it took a long time to get confident the confidence and eloquence to be able to talk to camera and sustain a whole like make a whole video just me mm -hmm. that took a long time and it will take most people a long time to get to that point. Do you know, a, a thing which I find very amusing, which I think probably most people won't realise, is how much you actually hate talking to a camera. Oh, I hate it, yeah. <laughs> I hate it. Uh, I've now reached a point where I can do it quite well. Yeah. <laughs> it's taken how long? 
because I, I seven remember years. seven years ago I was I was making videos yeah so over, over seven years in one of those or, early videos with me I remember you like not it being in London and you not having the confidence to be like I'm holding a camera and talking to it yeah. so you like you like ducked down by like a, a, a railing by the river and were just kind of like talking to the camera but didn't want to make like a big flamboyant issue out of mm. it whereas kind of I uh, yeah it's it's not that anymore is it no I don't care anymore it's, it's not like it is it is still weird yeah but I think both of us are at the point where we don't actually care no I'll so, so, Newcastle yeah, or whatever yeah. yeah so why did why was there the rebrand why did we want to move it from Francis Kate so, so this was what this was basically the first project which we worked on with me starting to work from you in January was actually rebranded. I think I'd already come. I, you'd dropped the idea a couple of months before. I think you were like, if you want it to be, I can't remember exactly what you said. You're like, a small rebrand might be a good idea. Yeah. And it got me thinking: How do I separate it and make it its own entity away from just me? Yeah. Because there's a lot of pressure when you are the brand. That's it. Mm -hmm. Whereas. Can you change what it's, I, I'd like? I realized I wanted to change it, and then I was like, Can you change it? <laughs> Can you change your YouTube channel now? And then is that going to be a bad idea? And then I chatted to some people about it, other YouTubers. I chatted to Mary Spender, mm -hmm. musician, YouTuber, guitarist, YouTuber, and amazing musician. And she was like, Don't do it, it's gonna be a terrible idea. And I remember on the phone, she won't mind me saying that she was like, It'll be a terrible idea, it's not gonna get like, don't mess with what's working. And then I was like, Nah, I think it will work. I'd, I'd had a beer and I was like, I think it'll work. I'm going to do it. And she was like, no, no, don't. And then I saw her in LA a couple of months back and she was like, it went really well, didn't it? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I've had other YouTubers like uh, Tyler's come up to me and said, like, I'm so happy how well this has worked out. Like, um, he didn't use the word jealous, but he was very like, he, he was like, I wish I'd done that. Because mm -hmm. um, it does, he, he understands having your name. You are the brand. Yeah. He gets it. It's hard to find other people to talk to who have the same, or in the same scenario. Yeah. Like, there's, it's very limited. You know, people who are doing the same thing. But, yeah, that was uh, a good choice for many reasons, I think. The two main reasons for me why it was a suggestion was the one that you already touched on, which is it allows... It, it changes it from I'm Francis K, the influencer, to this is a business entity this this is a thing that exists that i'm part of yeah um which takes the pressure off of you so like you know there will come a point i hope where you can have like some time off and you can go on holiday for like two weeks and we're at a point where you know everything still functions you can actually switch off for a couple of weeks well, we almost did we did okay we did a podcast but we but it was the closest to that ever but the existence of yes but we made less videos to be able to do that yeah 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 whereas in theory there will come a point where you can be away for a couple of weeks and a and show still goes out everything just still 100 separates you know 100 we're definitely not there yet no no no, no that's no. not it might be, it might be more people it might just be less more outsourcing of like editing because mm -hmm. that would free me up because i do all of the editing on this channel apart from the podcast apart from the podcast i do all the editing yeah and that takes up a lot of time. You know, there's there's things you can outsource to free up time. Therefore, you're just focusing on filming videos and then you have big chunk and you can just go, here you go, to an editor and then someone else uploads it. There's so many ways to for it to grow in a, in a good direction. 
the other reason was um i wanted so with me being involved i'm approaching it from a business rather than uh just you on your own and one of the things i wanted to be able to do was talk to uh or to present what we are doing as not just the francis cage show uh as something bigger as something that that has the potential to be like has the potential to be something that's like humongous um but i guess the the what come well i guess what we want to do as part of that is which is what we just touched on previously is it enables us to start introducing more people so currently but doing things slowly because what we don't want to do is just change everything so significantly so quickly that it's just like a different offering that isn't what we're trying to do arguably it wouldn't matter uh that's the nature of youtube yeah but this is not a tv show where you're you're changing and we've we've disagreed about this a few times it's not TV and you're not trying to earn people's viewership and routine is not really a thing anymore. That's why vlogs don't work. It's changed. The algorithm is so, everything is algorithm based. So if you're interested in cycling and a good video gets made, YouTube decides if it's a good video, video based on watch time, audience retention, click through rate, all of these numbers. Mm -hmm. And you, and if you are into cycling, you will get served that video. And it doesn't matter if you subscribe to the channel. It doesn't matter if you're into, if you know who the people are, you'll get served a video, mm -hmm. which is why there's successful YouTube channels that have zero subscribers. You start a new channel. And if someone knows what they're doing, they'll get a million views on a video. It's making the right thing. Probably, yeah. At the right time. Yeah. However, there are lots of people who've watched for a long time. On the flip side, who've watched for a long time and want to continue watching people they've seen on screen. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've done stuff. It's, we've built, or I have, we have, because we've been doing it together for ages, built a community of people. Mm -hmm. You know, same people that comment every time. Yeah. And that's amazing. And that, it's a thing that should be celebrated and looked after. Yeah. And that is our ultimately number one goal is spending more and more time focusing on the people watching the videos um so like i know a, a proportion of our audience don't like some of the produced stuff because they're used to vlog stuff but every time we make a video we are trying to make the most entertaining thing we possibly can mm -hmm. um we, we we're not we're not trying to make stuff that is just for the sake of making it which arguably a lot of is a lot of what vlogs are. Vlogs is kind of like a volume game. You know, you you want to get you you want to produce a vlog as much as possible. If you were vlogging, you wouldn't do one vlog a week. Yeah. Whereas we are comfortable making one video a week if we need to, mm -hmm. because we'll be really confident that that video is like a good video. Mm -hmm. Like even when stuff being creative with vlogs is hard. Because yeah. of the amount that has to be made the, the, and the regularity of them. Like Cycling Across America, like you had to, I had to just have the formula. So we did four, I did 48 videos over the course of that. And most of them went every single day. There was a very, there's a few rest days dotted throughout. But the creativity went out the window pretty quickly. Yeah. And you can still edit it in a fairly, you know, creative enough way. But I wasn't like excited and making anything it was more just documenting. Well, so talking about vlogs, one of the 
horrible things about vlogs that I have experienced from watching you for a huge amount of time is how personal it is. Mm -hmm. I was actually looking at, I was just looking, absorbing some YouTube content, seeing what people are making at the minute. And there's this person that's recently started vlogging or, you know, last couple of years. And I watched a couple of episodes in a row and, you know, within a few minutes of video, you know exactly where this person lives. You know where they walk their dog. You know what car they have. You know what the inside of their house looks like, what they have for breakfast. You know, you know so much about this person that it's not really appropriate. You, you know, you have to give over all of that personal bits of your life, mm. um, which presumably is why people get to a point where they want it to be in a studio rather than in their house. You can get away with not putting too much in for a long time, but then as you're looking for content, you're looking for something to put in the videos, it, it defaults to who's around you, the people close to you, and where you are, which is usually, you, it's your life, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's your life. Um, I never had any like negative experiences because of that, yeah. really. I guess there's a people like speculating about things just like, oh, you know, where's this person? Or are you, is this, you, is this your new girlfriend? Or And it's just kind of like, oh, you know, I wasn't, I don't really want people asking, like, who, who's that? Who's that asking that question? Yeah. <laughs> Why do they care? And that's, it's an unnatural amount of relationships to have with all these people watching. So removing that. And I think there's a, there's a thing that, Again, to talk about Neistat, again, his, he was very good at filming his life every day, but he wasn't really filming the intimate parts mm -hmm. at all. And when he did, he acknowledged that and was like, I would rather not be yeah. putting those bits in. Like his kids' faces, he didn't want to put his kids' faces in any videos at all. As soon as they didn't look like babies anymore, he would only film the back of their heads that kind of thing but he kind of if he wanted to do his video every single day he had he had to put them in yeah um and that is annoying and why people opt out i suppose and it is definitely one of the reasons why i'm happy that the videos have changed now you may or may not want to admit it mm -hmm. so, so one thing we we have noticed Whilst we are now Cade Media and do more produced videos or putting more production into the videos, we call them produced videos. Yeah. The comments are typically about what we are talking about and less about us personally. Mm -hmm. I know whether you want to admit it or not, in the past, comments have had impact on you. Yeah, of course. Because when you're vlogging, for whatever reason, even where in the last six months where there's been one or two which are a bit more vloggy, for whatever reason, the comments always become really personal. Mm -hmm. And it'll be stuff like, uh, like there's been comments on me where from various points in the past and people will be like, oh, Jimmy's put on a load of weight. Well, you know, like it, p people for, for, for whatever reason, because of the, the one, vlog the one style. The one, the one that gets me is that people, they'll have a conversation sometimes. They'll be chatting to each other and they'll be like, oh no, the thing about Jimmy is, it's like, you don't know him. You don't know Jimmy. You don't have that. No, I, like, Nobody knows that much, unless it was your mum commenting or like <laughs> Emily. The thing about Jimmy is, yeah, that makes sense. You can't be the thing. You can't start a sentence like that if you're Punk Boy Twenty Six on YouTube. <laughs> I th like this guy. I I love the community behind what we've yeah. done, 
but for whatever reason, as soon as the format is vlog, the comments, the style of comment completely changes mm. to being like about the people in it, what they look like, what they're talking about, their opinions. Mm. The, the, the It's reality TV though, isn't it? Yeah. That's why you sit there watching Big Brother years ago. Is that still? Love Island. It's, well, Big Brother's <laughs> coming back this year. I haven't watched any Love Island. I don't really know what it is, except Big Brother on an island and they all love each other. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, yeah we're okay, gonna... cool. Watching Big Brother, and it's the comments are the things that you say to the TV. Yeah, yeah. The other's like, yeah. oh, yeah, Sandra's bubbling. Think about, think about her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that is exactly the comment section. Yeah. And I don't know, reading that will not, is probably not good for anyone because we're not really supposed to know this many people exist, let <laughs> yeah. alone interact with them. Yeah. Yeah. Are we? How many people is humans supposed to know about? Really? Five. <laughs> what, in, a, in our cave? Yeah. Yeah. The horrible thing about vlogging is it's personal. And, it, and it, it does. It like it gets you. As much as thick-skinned as I like to think I am, The there has been times, even for me in the past, where I'll be like, I'll just like... Because, you, you know, you have a skim. We have to comment skim as much as we don't want to be in the comments at all. We have to comment skim because skim in the comments gives you a feel for... How people have received the video. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and the problem is, it's always a noisy minority. The negatives. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, if there's a negative comment, I know that unless there's 100 comments saying the same thing from different, from unique accounts, mm -hmm. it's not worth even spending four seconds of a brain on. Yep. There's not even worth thinking about. Uh, having said all of that, is there a better way? to teach yourself how to make videos than using the resources you have, which is your camera, the person, the actor, you are the producer. It's all, a, a vlog is the full package of how you, it's, it's the best way to learn. I basically made a thousand, well, 1,400 videos, maybe more, before we got to the level where we could make something real professional. We didn't have to hire anyone. It was just all, mm -hmm. all, learn by doing yeah many hours and that's very valuable mm -hmm. i guess you can do it different ways of course but if if you know when i see people making vlogs now i'm like oh yeah go keep going the amount you learn it doesn't matter if they get views or not so i guess what we're saying is um you're never going to make vlogs ever again <laughs> not true <laughs> i will definitely make uh bike packing slash adventure travel stuff again. yeah just not with me definitely preferably no i thought you wanted to come and do some spain stuff i don't know where you got that from. <laughs> the last time it didn't go down well food poisoning <laughs> that was that cheese yeah the dodgy cheese. jimmy ate a dodgy cheese a cheese uh right on to the last topics and this week's big question how do we make money <laughs> do you want to talk about this as you're the the business side of the business um <laughs> this is why i'm here and i'm the fun side <laughs> all right so we make money from multiple sources um we have objectives you you to, until the point i i got i joined you your goal was i just want to make enough money so i can keep making videos and so you just kind of like any any opportunities that came your way, we didn't say you lunged at them, but you were very keen to 
just absorb sources of money so that you could keep doing it which is understandable uh obviously with us then not only money but also opportunities well, yeah, uh, filming yeah. opportunities absolutely it's like yeah. here's the calendar am i free yes okay then I'm, i'll go yeah pretty much from a business side of it we're not looking at it as um what uh is the most lucrative we're just kind of building revenue streams and seeing where we go with that what we do though is have an ultimate end goal do we are we going to talk about the ultimate end goal? Ultimate end goal. Um, yeah, it's we, we. It's impossible for us to do it for a while. We want to do it right now, but it's just not possible. Uh, the ultimate end goal is that we have near enough all of our money so that we can live coming from ad revenue. Uh, so, well, AdSense. YouTube AdSense. So, so the adverts that play at the start of a video yeah. and mid-roll in a video, essentially you do you sign a contract with Google, they place the ads, you get paid based on how many views the video gets pretty much. Yeah. Um, or who watches the ads at the start or the middle. In some niches, that can sustain a team of people making YouTube videos fully. Yeah. In cycling the view counts are lower because there's less people cycling in the world than there are gaming or into fitness hooves mountain biking <laughs> hooving cows hooving cows yeah oh i've seen the hoof, yeah the I, love hoof GP. I love them yeah anyway it's a smaller niche yeah so the you know we're we might not get a million views every single episode might be a hundred thousand views an episode so it limits the amount of revenue you can make from that so the rest is made up through other things but the, but the ultimate goal is we get to a point where the views alone are our only source of yeah. income yeah. um so that like well ultimately we just spend all of our time going like right what do we want to make yeah. why do you think that's important <clears throat> well the the, the the this is the conversation i have with lots of brands and they absolutely in most cases they hate it which is very odd because everyone is dependent on it our single objective is making entertaining videos for the people watching them mm. because that, that's all that's important like we want people to watch our videos we want people to like our videos we we don't want to have to have conversation with brands and take money from brands so that we can keep doing what we're doing we actually want to get more people watching our videos so that we can make videos more directly for those people mm -hmm. like you've built a community we built community community with Atticus. like that's the focus that's the whole that's been our objective forever pre-cade media you know we want to talk to those people and make the stuff that they want to watch um and the beauty of sponsorships and advertising is it's much easier to make money with them than it is through adsense it's also consistent yes reliable yeah whereas adsense I can make a YouTube video and we can swear too many times. Yep. And then YouTube doesn't tell you how many times that is. It just deems it wrong. Yep. Revenue drops. You can make a YouTube video and use a snippet or a, a song can be in the background. You'd be in a pub or a, I don't film in pubs so much. You'd be in a cafe. <laughs> There'll be a song in the background and then YouTube picks that up and goes demonetized. And all of the revenue from that video is sent to the music label. Yep. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so AdSense is unreliable. 
but uh, the other thing as well is certain periods of the year there's less people watching videos so one thing we know is when the tour de france is on the views drop totally it's and you know the, the, the amount of money you earn per 1000 views is really really low just after christmas like half yeah and then it goes up and 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 up all year until just before christmas yeah and then it's like it's at its peak in that sort of time it's a why two bikes one wheelchair um I don't think I lost money doing that, <laughs> which is good. And that was with sponsors involved, but like that was one of the biggest, I hit the biggest revenue month on YouTube I'd ever done. It was before you were involved. And it was because the revenue, the RPM or revenue per meal per 1000 views was so high at that time of year. Plus you made a lot of I made a video every single day and they were doing pretty well yeah. for, for, for a vlog series. Um, so that was the most money ever for a month. As soon as you, if I'd done that in January, it would have earned half as much. Yep. So it's, you have to just work within those parameters all the time. So, so currently, uh, it works out that AdSense, so YouTube revenue is about 40% of our total earnings. Mm -hmm. um, sponsorships, this is actual channel partners, yeah. is about the same as AdSense, so another 40%. So these are guys that sponsor the channel for the year. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, stuff like, you know, Garmin, Scott, Atticus. Tires. Hutchinson Tires. Yeah. They're like, whenever we're using tires in videos, I said I rode Schwarms to work the other day. <laughs> Get a Trump with Hutchinson. <laughs> I was doing it to counter Nick, but we use Hutchinson's for everything in the videos. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like product placement. Um, those ones. Um, then there's advertising, which represents about 15%. Mm -hmm. So an example of that would be out of glasses. So I uh, got some out of glasses, which were the cool glasses with the little thingy thing in the top. And yeah, as we yeah, said, yeah. a part of that, they paid us to advertise. One fee, put it just, in. Just a one-off. Yeah. Um, Adidas thing, kind of. Not really. I was like in modeling almost. It was a bit different. Well, yeah, but, but they paid for a I, one feature in it. Like, I, yeah, I talked them to include it as a, as a piece of as advertising. A piece, yeah. um, so do some of these overlap. It's kind of not well, quite. The, the difference is the channel partners, the channel partnerships, which is 40%, is a 12 month, a minimum of a 12 month contract for yeah, us yeah, to, yeah. at the very least, have product placement throughout. Advertising is going to be. Uh, so that's 15% of our overall revenue, which is essentially someone going, I would like you to advertise this product. Here is or is not some money to do that. Um, and then 4% is Patreon and affiliates. Um, so you do still have a Patreon as Francis Cade. Mm -hmm. um, and then affiliates is for GoPro, Insta360, and your mouth mounts. Grill mount. Grill yeah. mount. Yeah. Um, I've actually been banging on for a while now. We have a Patreon project which i want to do at some point because i want to do more stuff with patreon and do some lots of exclusive content through it but mm. it's obviously a lot of work it's something that it's an extra thing it's an extra yeah. load of edits and yeah. so i put some i've used patreon a little bit um in the past to put clips extended cuts yeah of stuff from uh, the usa series in particular and yeah. there was like you know times where we were outside walgreens and there was a guy who was really interesting chatting to us yeah uh, and that i didn't want to put a full 10 minute clip in the vlog, yeah, and but it was really interesting and funny, yeah. So we put that on Patreon, and then people can pay extra uh, to, or they can pay to watch that clip exclusively. So the sort of thing I want to do with Patreon is say we uh, make a podcast. Mm. Off uh, after the podcast, we'll do like a a live feed 
where we actually, you know, you can you can join us live and have a conversation with us. Mm-hmm. So then people can submit a question and we're actually like having a chat with those people directly about, you know, whatever. Yeah, that'll be cool. Um, some, some channels, so like there's shout out to Path Less Pedaled, a uh, YouTube channel, which is, uh, I mean, this thing is like unsponsored bike videos. Yeah. And that is sustained purely through AdSense and Patreon, yeah. I think. Um, that's one model that YouTubers can use to to make it work. But obviously, you then have to plug the Patreon all the time. Yeah. Almost as much as sponsors. And then you don't have... I, I guess the sponsor thing, the thing I like about having sponsors is, like, obviously, there's that Thanks. side. You have to talk... Yeah. No, it's the access to all the stuff as well. Yeah. So how many tires do we use? Yeah. How many inner tubes do we use? And Hutchinson give us all of them. Mm-hmm. And bike frames. And then, oh, I don't need a bike frame, which is rim brake. Can I get one of those? Um, and some of it, okay, we've bought quite a few. But often, if we need something from Scott and we ask for it, they'll usually give it to us. Light is great. Like we wanted some more soundproofing, so they sent us rugs, a thousand pounds worth of rugs. Yes, they're real, like, which we never see in the videos. But thank you, Scott, for the rugs. It's made this room much better. And the soft rug. The final source of revenue is selling our own products, which is wild, and that represents a hideously. Well, it's it's not even one percent. If we could make AdSense eighty percent, and you you talked about the eventual goal not having to have sponsors at all yeah and that's not because we hate having sponsors it's purely because it frees you up to talk about absolutely anything you want and not upset people i suppose yeah and ultimately sponsors want stuff from us mm-hmm. uh i actually spend a lot of time telling people that we're not going to do what they want us to do yeah can i can i just say as well the sponsors that we have at the moment have been very understanding not all of them not all of them most of them most of them have been very <laughs> understanding um particularly the big ones about us y- using and testing and trying out and talking about literally rival brands mm-hmm. that'd be very cool yep so thank you for understanding because they essentially sponsor i've been in contracts just me it's not you mm-hmm. i am in contract with some of these brands from when it was just me on my own yep and the model has changed so drastically, but they've been very cool with it. Yeah. So that 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 is it says a lot. I think I think it's actually maybe everyone apart from Garmin. Everyone so far. Are, are still on Francis Gate yeah, contract. Yeah. Garmin, we are Cade Media has a contract with Gate with Garmin. Yeah, yeah. So that was like number one job when I came in was spent basically two and a half months working with Garmin for us to work to to get to a place where where it works and we make what we want to make but have access to amazing products yeah there is an example of a great sponsor purely it's because it's peripherals isn't it it's like we're never in that situation the the people who review tech like that like garmin power meters head mm-hmm. units that kind of thing dc rainmaker ah he's <laughs> it is and g lama yeah and there's other some other guys as well we're never going to do that that's not a thing no. that we can ride like they 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 are doing that so well yep. i can never do that better no so why even try don't um let's not do that they're brilliant i definitely don't want to yep. i wouldn't believe uh, you anyway if, if if we made a video about something i'm still going to look at dc rainmaker and because he, he's going to tell me the stuff i want to know 
and I'm never going to make it because we'll, the, we'll the, yeah. the level of detail. Oh, my brain doesn't work. It's bonkers. It just big shout out to both of those guys there. Yeah, yeah. Um, do things fantastically, but that's an example of a sponsor. We're not going to. It doesn't restrict us because mm -hmm. I don't want to review a Wahoo and a Garmin. Like this, just not going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. I, but, I actually, no. I actually love working with Garmin because like the people we work with, with them as well, they're just like awesome. Yeah, so good. They are class, and and they like they they really understand what we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So like, well, ultimately they don't even say to us like, oh, we'd like you to do this. We go, actually, we want to make this. Can we, can we like, can you, can you help us make it happen? Like, mm -hmm. like the travel series, I've wanted to do the travel series for years. Like, so years, we want years, to do this years, thing. Years. What would need to be in it to make it a sponsored video? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I actually had a conversation. Okay, I, was like, anyway. I was like, can we just say Garmin at the beginning? They were like, yes, yeah, that kind of works. So like, we, Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the short term goal from day one of me coming in was reducing how many sponsors we have. So the first thing we want to do is boost our um, AdSense revenue so that we can reduce our sponsors and ultimately find ourselves in a position where we have like two or three single sponsors that don't, that essentially don't like compromise what we can produce. Um, Garmin, as, as we were mentioned, is a perfect one for that. Um, Scott are, you know, they've been a significant sponsor for quite a while the what they ultimately allow is they give us access to so many bikes the, the ultimate you know yeah. like that yeah. that's what this channel is about is about bikes you know it just it just makes it really easy and they, they were super cool about us and access to people as well like well yeah. for brian i wouldn't have why well, it would have been harder to orchestrate a ride with him had it we not both been sponsored by scott yeah so it's like getting to getting to the location might be flying somewhere, not always. Garmin doing a thing like Unbound. Like I know Unbound video is going to do well. Yeah, it's always going to do well. It was, went particularly well this year because it was just absolute carnage. But they uh, like they they pay for those trips. And they make it possible. Yeah. So there's there's huge benefits too. I think I think the 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 thing that surprised me most with Scott, and this is again why I, I love talking to them because they're they, they're so good, is that. We made our most successful video this year was about a decathlon bike, <laughs> and they were totally cool with it. Yeah, yeah. They were totally cool with it, which is which is, which like, you know, it shows that they're just. But the thing is, know, with, with that specifically, if you look at it from their perspective, they don't make a bike at that price point. A person buying that bike isn't looking at Scott. However, if they get into cycling and they progress and they're gonna start spending more money on a bike, they've already been on my channel, which has shown them Scott's. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's a, it's the journey, isn't it? With the sponsors themselves, or even the advertising, um, we reject significantly more than we work with. Um, again, because our, our focus is the audience. Like we could, we, we could be doing much better financially if we just said yes to everything, um, but then we would be showing the audience stuff that like, we'd be just trying to force things in that we were like, oh, this is actually not very good. So we just say no to stuff. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff, a lot of CBD. Oh, do you get Evergreen. CBD? I haven't seen so many stuff. people message about CBD. Yeah. Not emails, you're in charge of the emails now, so I'm, I've just moved away from it. But the Instagram DMs, we get a lot of people asking, CBD, uh, unusual e-bikes. Oh, loads of is e massive. Yeah. Uh, Sirocco sunglasses message us every fuck every five minutes. <laughs>
I think we're very lucky to work with brands that we would use anyway, is the crux of it. When we do advertising stuff and sponsored specific sponsorship pieces, like it's really important to us to like signpost stuff really blatantly and like it it feels odd doing it, but what we want what's really important to us is that like the audience is number one. So we want to know, we want them to know exactly what we are doing. Like, for example, when we did the ad, the advert, what was essentially an advert for out of sunglasses, um, you know, like it's signposted really clearly at the beginning of that, that we've been paid to advertise those glasses. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to have to check it now just to make sure it definitely does. <laughs> <laughs> but, but ultimately we're really, it's, you know, it's really important to us that the, audience know exactly what's going on and, and ultimately you know we have to do some of these deals one way or another or we have to do certain things one way or another so that we know that we can keep doing this mm -hmm. um which we want to do you know it's it's like it's very rewarding hard but rewarding i agree i think that's the end of this podcast we've been talking a long time we have is it longer than a normal one uh, we hope you enjoyed this special episode. The regular format will return next week where I'm sure there'll be lots of cycling news. If you watch the podcast on YouTube, please subscribe. And if you're listening and you like this episode, please follow and leave us a review because it really helps. Thank you. See you next time. Should we, should we just do a random uh, overrated, underrated? I've got one for you. So overrated, underrated, Cade Media. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.